Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. All right. How's everybody doing? Yeah? I, man, if, you, if that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will fire you up. I'm just saying, there is such good God things taking place that it's, I don't know, I could, I could sit and talk all day about that. I mean, I'm serious. I'm, so in that video, the last individual that you saw baptized was my youngest son. Yeah, my, my youngest son, my, in fact, my oldest son was at camp as a, as a counselor, and he calls, I forget what night it was, and he goes, Dad, and he was just, just all frenzied up in a, good, in a good kind of way, and he said, you'll never guess what happened. And I'm like, what, 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 tell me. He's like, Gabe gave his life to Christ and got baptized. And I'm like, so I was like a blubbering mess, as I am kind of now, thinking about it. And just so you know, as a parent, as a parent that, does, that loves Jesus, but at the same time wants your children to take, wants them to find their path, so to speak, but you kind of help navigate them, but you don't know how that's all going to unfold, right? And when a time comes, and you know, train up a child, raise up a child in the way you should go, and in the end, they won't depart from it. And that's such a big message. And for some, you're still waiting for that moment, and we pray that you'll experience that moment. For me, oof, I'm telling you, all heaven rejoices with that. And so I could just dismiss today. I'm so overjoyed. But I'm not going to do that because I have a word that I want to speak to you. All right, all right. Um, the church, God has given the church a mission. It's a mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are... You are called out to take this message of the good news of Jesus to the world and the people around you and the environments you go. You are the gospel to the world. That's what you're called to do. Not just in a church setting, but in your environments. You're all the areas and environments that you serve and work in. And our Heavenly Father has so given that to us, and we look at that in the New Testament, and and Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, shares an idea of in a, the heart of the Father that says, you are, you are the salt of the earth. You are a preservative on the face of the earth to continue to take the gospel, the good news, and to give it out to those that will receive that message. And I don't know if you know this, but a little bit of salt goes a long way. A little bit of salt goes a long way. In fact, I was making meatballs probably like a year ago. I haven't made them since. And I accidentally, and I ha- accidentally read, the, read it wrong, teaspoons versus tablespoons, and I put two tablespoons of salt. And I'll never forget biting into that meatball. And I'm thinking, man, I must, my hands are swelling right now. I put them in the microwave, didn't think anybody else was going to eat them. And then my son, Gabe, comes home. He's like, ooh, somebody made meatballs. And he took a bite out of that, and he goes, that that is nasty. Okay, that is nasty. A little bit of salt goes a long way. And did you know that not everybody and not all cultures on the face of the earth like that concept 
love that idea of being salt love the idea of the gospel in fact i'm going to go back and just kind of give you a picture because we all at some some to some degree we like seeing good things take place and transformations take place but there's also the flip side in our in 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 the world and let me take you back and i'm not going to have you go there in the text today but i'm trying to frame this in to take us ultimately to philippians chapter two so i'm going to frame it in for you here we go in the old testament there was a people there was a civilization that was called sodom and gomorrah some of you know and you've read or you make statements about Sodom and Gomorrah. And people have, have all kinds of things that they've, they've thought of that place. And, and it's fascinating to me, this culture of about 1,000 to 1,200 people uh, had become so other than good news, so other than what God desired on the face of the earth, that Scripture says that an outcry from the people went before God, and God heard their cry. And the outcry of the people was that they were encountering a civilization that was so anti-God and so selfish that destruction would ultimately have to come to that culture. And so here's, let me give you a little bit. This is before the, the law of Moses was given. This is before there's no official laws out there. It was like, it, you, in, you're talking, if you remember the Wild West or study the Wild West, this was way worse than the Wild West. This was a culture that was set up in a community. It was, it was probably 2,000 years before Christ came. And in the area where the Dead Sea was, some about the lowest level of Dead Sea, some would say that the, that's potentially where the city of Sodom and Gomorrah um, was at that time. And there's been layers and all of that type of th- types of things. And people have tried to excavate and find ruins and so forth. But these people were the wealthy elite of their day. They, in fact, we don't even know what industry necessarily was there, but the majority of Sodom and Gomorrah did not have to work because they were so well-to-do. And, and so, and you know that what, with that wealth and with that prosperity, they determined by charter of their, the, the law of their city that literally no poor, no, nobody that was less than wealthy could ever reside there or live there. And if they did, and if a poor person or somebody that was hungry showed up, this was in their charter in a rabbinical statement. I read this last week. This is what it says. Everyone that strengthens the hand of the poor or the needy with a loaf of bread shall be burnt with fire. Serving others was a crime in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was so dark, in fact, that literally in the city, they were not allowed to bring anybody in and be hospitable to them. So they, what they did is they were so wicked and vile and evil that they set up sleeping quarters in the middle of the city, in, the, in this town square. And what their hope was that when a stranger comes in, whoever it might be that would find rest, they would go to the city, the city, uh, city square, and as they lay down, it was as if people would come and they could have their way with them. They could pillage, steal, murder, rape, do whatever they wanted to because it was the law. And so you could just imagine, I mean, and the, the, this and the, the cry, and you hear this through all scripture, the cry goes before God and God hears the cry of the people that are, being, are suffering at the hands of these vile, wicked people who were anti-God and definitely weren't salt. And so the story goes that all of a sudden, these three men, one was 
God in the flesh. I don't know what that necessarily looks like. I've not experienced that. And then two angelic-type beings, but they were men as well. And they showed up at a man named Abraham who was obviously the, had, had become the father or was going to be the father of nations. In fact, we come from that seed. And they show up to Abraham, and basically they're going, you know, he's going, where are you headed? And they're going, well, we're going to Sodom to see the wickedness. We've heard the cry of the, of the people. And, and, and Abraham knew what was about to happen. He knew that God was getting ready to bring down destruction on that city. And Abraham had a nephew named Lot. And Lot and, and Abraham had so much wealth and so much stuff that they were standing on a mountain overlooking the area. And as they're overlooking the area, they go, well, we got to go this way, this way. And Lot looks over at this area where Sodom and Gomorrah was and saw that it was fruitful and, and, and just flush with good things. And he goes, I'm going to take that land. And Lot goes there. And you know what? And Lot and his family were accepted. You know why? They were wealthy. They had more than enough. And somehow he embraced that culture, whatever. And so with that, the two men leave and go on their way, and there's left, again, God in human form, whether that was Jesus or we don't know what that looks like. But Abraham decides to have a little conversation. It goes like this. Hey, since I hear that you're going to destroy this Sodom and Gomorrah, what if there were 50 people that were righteous there? What if there were 50 salty people? He says, okay, I'll save it. Oh, okay, don't be mad at me. I'm going to have another, another, how about 45? He says, for 45, I'll save this city. 45 salty people, righteous people. Goes down to 30 and continues to bargain. 20. And then he finally goes, don't be, don't, be, don't be upset with me. One last request, God. If there were 10 righteous people, 10 salty people, would you save the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? And to that he said, I will. And he left. And of course, the story goes on to say that there were obviously not 10 salty people. But as I read the story and as I share the story, what I've come to realize is this. That if there were salty people who loved God and were righteous people, if there were 1%, God would have saved those that were unrighteous. Think about that. If there were 10 people, 10 salty people, 10 righteous people, God would have saved what? He would have saved that society, that city. And so, say this with me. I am salt. That's right, you are. And do you know that you being salt, that you being salt in culture, that literally as you are, and you go, well, I'm not that great a person. I know, Jason, maybe you are, and that's, you know, or, or, or maybe, or maybe, you know, Paul was, and in, 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 as he teaches Philippians or writes Philippians, we know maybe that, okay, Jesus, yeah, but I, no, but I'm telling you, a little bit of salt goes a long way. And God is calling you and me to be that little bit of salt. Did you know he can save your neighborhood? 
He can save your marketplace. He can save your schools. He can do that. And you're going, wait, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Put on a, like an outfit and walk around and be like, I'm salt. No, no. You just need to live a life that honors our Heavenly Father. That's, it's not complicated. And a little bit of salt goes a long way to which the Apostle Paul now takes us to his writings in chapter 2. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you have to have that, to Philippians chapter 2, in which you're going to see how a little bit of salt goes a long way. And so with that, we know that Philippians, all of a sudden, Paul is writing, he's writing, and he's writing to this group and these people in Philippi. He planted the church. Timothy had helped to plant the church in Philippi. And as he did that, um, they, they left, and they, they made sure that everything was put in order, and and Paul is now in prison, and he's writing about to the Philippians, and he has no ill will with them other than they have blessed his ministry and resources ministry, and he's grateful for that, and, he's, and this is a good and encouraging letter. It's outstanding. And just right before I get to this, to this uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, he shares about Christ, and he says, I want you to have this attitude that Christ had, who didn't take any thought for his life, who laid down his life, who humbled himself, became a man, and he was salt. He was hope to the world. He was love and kindness to the world. And that's what, how I want you to be, to which the Philippians might be then going, or to cultures that read this and thus read this, we go, yeah, that's good for you, Jesus. That's great because you were God in the flesh. But what about us, normal, average people? To which Paul is knowing how Jesus was and how Jesus lived and what Jesus, all the stuff that Jesus did is impossible without the Spirit of God on and in and through your life. You can't truly be salt unless the Spirit of God comes and flows and fills you and transforms your life. And Paul knew that. And so, at the end of that little portion about Jesus and living like Jesus and you know, following Jesus and all of that, being humble like Jesus, he gives us a little travelogue about some ordinary people. Here we go. In verse, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24, and I love this because Paul's like, I don't want to just tell you about it. I actually want to give you some living examples. If the Lord Jesus, verse 19, is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. Then when he comes back, he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely, genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy was proved, has proved himself like a son with his father. He has helped me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. And here's, here's the reality about Timothy. Timothy was a convert of Paul, found, helped found the church in Philippi, and the, Philippine, the Philippians would have remembered Timothy because he played an important role in their spiritual transformation. And he sacrificed and he influenced them. And Timothy served with Paul for 10 years and, and he, was, he was side by side and the highs and lows through difficulty. And, you know, that's impressive to be with somebody for 10 years and not hate them. And, and, and be working so hard and laboring and all that and still love them. Timothy had proved himself. He had a good track record over an extended period of time. 
And it seems that the Philippians, they would expect Timothy to show up. Why? It was like this. It's like if I just pluck somebody out of Freedom Church and I said, hey, I want you to, let's say we planted churches all over and we're planning on doing that. And they were expecting Pastor Benito to show up and all of a sudden some guy by the name of Larry shows up. And they're like, who are you? They were expecting like Pastor B to show up. They were expecting Timothy to show up because he was the pastor, so to speak. But it looks like they might have been disappointed because he wasn't able to come. And we know, we know that Timothy, though, his character from other parts of the Bible, Timothy was known for a lot of things, but he wasn't known for necessarily his courage. He was known as somebody that was a little bit timid, and he wasn't the most courageous person. But I love how Paul commends Timothy for three qualities first. He was salty and a preservative because he cared for people. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare, Philippians 2.20. Cared for people. It wasn't an act. Timothy cared. He loved. He was there. I love that Paul wrote earlier in the chapter, don't think only of your own affairs, but be interested in others too. You know one of the greatest ways to be salty is to be selfless. Second, Timothy lived sacrificially. All others would care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Are you somebody who cares for only your well-being? Third, Paul commends Timothy for having proven himself. But you know how Timothy has proved himself because he had a good track record. And I love this. Listen. Timothy is an example of a single average person who made a difference whose little bit of salt went a long way. And literally, God worked in and through that man. And Paul's preaching and teaching to live like Jesus was lived out through Timothy. And you know what that gives us? Hope. Because some of us are going, I'm not very flavorful. And here's the good news for you. Me either. But Christ. But Christ. But Christ in you. He's at work to do and to will his good pleasure. And I'm telling you, he's not done. And then we go, Paul, if, if Timothy's not enough, an example of a normal person, we get to Epaphroditus, which is just a goofy name in my, in my opinion. Epaphroditus, what's your child's name? Epaphroditus. Okay, it's a little preacher humor. You know, when we sit and read that, we're like, yes. Okay, Paul does something. Now listen to this. Something smart. He talks about Timothy. Now he brings it closer to home. And he brings in this man from the actual from Philippi, and he says this in verse 25 of chapter 2. Meanwhile, I thought I should send to you Epaphroditus, not Timothy, not Pastor B. I'm going to actually send Epaphroditus. He's a true brother, a faithful worker, a courageous soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. Now I'm sending him home again, for he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And surely he was ill. In fact, he almost died of COVID. But God had mercy on him and also on me, and so that I would not have such unbearable sorrow. 
So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and that will lighten all my cares. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy, and be sure to honor people like him, for he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while trying to do for me the things you couldn't do because you were far away. So in walks Epaphroditus. He's from the Philippian church. And here's what I know about that and about him, is that he had to travel over 700 miles to get to the prison that Paul was in. Imagine traveling 700 miles. That's a long ways today by truck. Now, dude, in that day, you better, better really like the person you're going to visit. And he had traveled 700 miles to be with Paul to bring a monetary gift, honestly, to resource and fund kingdom stuff, which, by the way, so those of you that aren't called in vocational ministry but your kingdom givers understand that Paul was able to do what he did because there were kingdom funders. There were kingdom funders. And so imagine he travels all that way to represent the Philippian church and to help Paul, and we know that he became ill, and Paul says to the point of death, and it seems to have been, a, you know, that potential for some to be un- misunderstanding because they're like, why are you sending this guy back to us? We want Timothy and all of that. They might have regretted sending him thinking, man, he, was, he just went and he got sick and he was probably more of a burden. We, wanted, we didn't want him to be a burden to Paul. We didn't want that, but Paul made it clear that the Philippians were to welcome him back and warmly, warmly welcome him back because he served Christ so well and represented them with excellence. And Here's what I know. You have two average people. One of them was timid, and one was sick. Just ordinary people that were salty, that were were other than selfish. And in fact, Paul listed 26 people by name in Romans 16, people who surrounded him in Rome and who helped him, yet out of those people, at least 26 of them, only two came through like Timothy and Epaphroditus. They all loved God. They loved Paul, yet only two came through. All others care for themselves. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2.21. All others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. And many of us, we sometimes become so self-focused and we say, yes, we love Jesus, and we do mean to love Jesus, and we, are, we want to be passionate about Jesus, but truly we're only looking out for our own interests. Okay. Maybe they were too busy. Maybe they had other concerns. Maybe too ambitious. They ended up letting Paul down, and they were more interested in their own affairs. The difference with Timothy and Epaphroditus was an ability. It was their willingness to be servants. You are called out. You are called out to be servants. I'm going to say salty servants. You are called out to preserve. You are called out to be the ones that literally, as you serve communities, as you serve your cities, as you serve in your workplaces, literally you will watch as God does something supernatural and preserves people. And I love that. I don't know if you ever walk around. You could be in a restaurant. You'd be like, man. Lord Jesus, because you're in me, there's actually people, there's actually a society being preserved right now. And so I pen some convictions of an everyday servant. 
convictions of an everyday servant. And let me ask you a question. Here we go. Who is it that has made an impact on your life? Other than your parents. What two or three individuals apart from your family have really touched you and made you who you are? Who helped preserve you? Think about it. I'll give you just a minute. Because this is big. Because the preservation of you, the saltiness of you, was given so that you could do the same thing. So that you can make a difference. My guess is that they're probably ordinary people. They're probably just some ordinary person at work. Ordinary person that lives down the street. An ordinary person in some state or around the world, whatever. They're, and they, chances are they didn't stand head and shoulders above others. I, I can't for the life of me understand why, why Paul Peterson, one of my mentors, why year in and year out, he would show up in a stinky basement of a Baptist church and would move from Sunday school class as we moved up Sunday school class, and he would teach us little rascally kids. And he didn't quit. To me, Paul was one of the saltiest people I know. And honestly, it was something, it was, it was, a, it was a higher purpose. It was something bigger than himself. Do you know, my son, in getting baptized, here's, here's, Here's what the world's given my son. He's looking for purpose. He's looking for hope. He's seeking out joy. He's wanting to, to, to be part of something way bigger than himself, and video games isn't cutting it. And no girlfriend is cutting it. But when he meets and has met Jesus, it changes everything. And he begins to live for something bigger than himself. And so here's, here's the lessons. These, this is what I would say, convictions of everyday servant. Here's the lesson for us. Never underestimate the influence of a single, ordinary person who commits to dying to themselves, becoming a servant of Jesus Christ, and loving others. Never underestimate that. And I'm telling you, that's us. That's us. And so I'm going to give you three convictions of everyday servants. Here they are. And I'm done. My life isn't about me. It's about what Jesus is doing. And so you bring flavor. So what is Jesus doing? What is he doing? What is he doing right now and in through your life? What is it? And some of you go, I go, I, I have no clue. I don't know. Which I'm saying and what I'm praying for is a re-upping of your passion for the calling of God on your life. And I'm telling you, you all have it. I'm not talking vocational ministry. I'm talking about preserving, being salt through all culture. Every day, servants have convictions. My life isn't about me. It's about what Jesus is doing. Second, one of the greatest contributions 
I will make with my life is how I prove myself in consistently serving others, even especially during hardship. <sighs> Washing feet. And you're like, I don't wash feet. You get the idea. It's about being hope. It's about preserving. It's serving others even when times are hard, even when you don't feel like it. And just so you know, you don't have what it takes. Christ in you does. For everyone looks out for his own interests, Paul said, but not those of Jesus Christ. May that not be us. And then the last one is the conviction of somebody that what? Everyday servants have. God uses, last one, God uses ordinary people when they make a radical, risky commitment to live for a higher purpose. God uses ordinary people when they make a radical, risky commitment to live for a higher purpose. And did you know that in doing that, you are living out the gospel of salvation? You are living it out, and you're. And if you're going, I don't know, I don't know. I'm letting you know that if there were one percent righteous in Sodom, God would have preserved it. God would have preserved it. I love this story, and I, I've shared this before, but I love this story. But D.L. Moody was a great evangelist. Um, it was kind of the Billy Graham of his day, and he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't average at all. He was below average. He was a shoemaker. He was poor, no education. The first time he applied for church membership, he failed. Have you ever, 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 ever failed at church membership? When was the last time you failed church membership? He fails church membership. I'm like, how is that? How does that happen? So there was nothing extraordinary about him. And one day he heard a preacher, Henry Varley, say these words. The world is yet to see what God can do with and for and through. And in a man, an ordinary person, an ordinary salty person who is wholly consecrated to him. And Moody thought, what if I were that man? What if I were that person? And he lived the rest of his lives and he touched thousands of lives. And by the way, I think you will touch thousands of lives because every day you walk through supermarkets, every day you walk down streets, every day you walk through business environments, and unbeknownst to you, a little bit of salt goes a long way. A little bit of salt goes a long way. And you're going, well, I just don't know how to share Jesus. What if it wasn't so much about having to get out and just tell people, though you can, but you actually just live it. You just live it. And you care and you look out for the interests of others. I wish you could see what God will do with and for and through and in you. Not because you're extraordinary any more than any of us are extraordinary. I wish you could see the impact that God wants to have on your life. Because you, like Timothy and Epaphroditus, become ordinary people who follow Christ and take upon yourself the form of a servant and begin to serve others right where you are with what you're doing right now. Bow your heads, close your eyes. And then we're going to party down. My prayer for you, church, is that God would open our eyes to what he could accomplish through salty people. I pray 
that he would make us servants of others and make a difference through us as we die to ourselves and begin to live for others. That's the good news. And Jesus, through us, saves our communities, our cities, our nation, and our world because you are the salt of the earth. And a little bit of salt goes a long way. And so, Heavenly Father, in this room right now, would you just give us a fresh shake? Just spread it all over us right now. Just give us a little bit, just, just shake a little bit of that on us. And God, prepare us. Ready our souls. Get us, God, fired up for the cause and the purpose for which you have us for this limited time on the face of the earth. But God, we will not be like others. We will be like Timothy and Epaphroditus who will be faithful and committed to your purpose and to your plans. Jesus, fill us fresh. Salt us fresh. God, do this and it's all for your glory. We decrease and you increase, Jesus. Thank you and your awesome and mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.